This is a podcast from the Royal Court Theatre. Series 2 was recorded over the summer of 2017. The following content may contain strong language. Welcome to the second series of the Royal Court Theatre Playwrights podcast with me, Simon Stevens. When Roy Williams' first play, No Boys Cricket Club, launched him into the London theatre world in 1996, it was celebrated for the audacity and range of its theatrical imagination. At a time when new playwrights were often being encouraged to write simple plays for studio theatres, Roy Williams wrote a play that travelled across oceans, across continents and back in time, charting the life of a woman inspired by his own mother. He was part of a generation of playwrights, many of whom wrote out of different agendas and with different perspectives, who together re-energised British playwriting forever. The play was the start of a career that has been defined by its prolific energy, dramaturgical range and insistent interrogation of the existential nature of identity. His early plays for the Royal Court, Lift Off in 1999 and Clubland in 2002, marked a bold and compelling interrogation of young London men trying to make sense of their relationships to their own race. Compassionate and flinty by turns, they established Roy as a writer of real significance. But it was his next play for the Royal Court, The Coruscating Fallout, a dramatic investigation of the policing of hate crime, and his plays Sing Your Hearts Out for the Lads for the National Theatre and Days of Significance for the Royal Shakespeare Company that saw him stretch the political and formal considerations of his work to write, in the space of a few years, three of the most significant political plays of the last decade. Roy Williams marked himself as a dramatist who looked as unflinchingly at nationalist politics as he did at the brutality of militarisation, at violence and policing as he did at murder on London streets, and at the pathos and failure of Kevin Keegan's football management of the England team as he did at the possibility of tenderness in a city defined by violence. (laughs) <laughs> the following decade has seen his search expand. He's written adaptations of films and novels for theatres on both sides of the Atlantic. He's written for young actors and a musical biography of soul legend Marvin Gaye. His most recent play, produced by the Royal Court, The Ferocious and Tender Sucker Punch, brilliantly directed by Sasha Wares in 2010, saw his typical tenderness and savagery staged with a deafness and ambition that matched his writing. He is a writer compelled by many ideas and many worlds and has also been celebrated for the honesty and dignity with which he has dramatised Black Britain. His presence as a role model for young black theatre artists has seen him lauded at international level. But for me, it is his insistent fascination with the same existential questions that define his early plays, with our sense of self when our identities sit so harshly at odds with the cultural constructs of what we're meant to be like whether those constructs are established on racial, gender, sexual, economic or professional lines that unify his work and make him one of my generation's most important playwrights. Roy Williams, welcome to the Royal Court. (laughs) Thank you. That doesn't sound like me at all. I don't know who that is. I think it is you though, isn't it? Yeah, I think it might be, yeah. (laughs) Is it strange to... Why does it not sound like you? I don't know, just... um... 
Mostly because I think mean, the last twenty odd years has just gone like a blur. Right. It's been just it's so much has happened and it's just gone so fast. And um and I do wonder sometimes, you know, have I really appreciated, have I really sort of taken it all in and um yeah, I'm still asking that. I, I guess that kinda of helps to keep me on my toes. Really. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. Yeah, I don't know I don't many take play- for granted. No, I think I, I don't know many playwrights who do take things for granted, who do notice success. Yeah. Yeah. Or experience success as being success. Yeah, yeah. Or ever breathe to enjoy themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you kind of think you kind of think if you do that then you fucked. Yeah, exactly. Actually you just exactly. stop. Exactly. Um, I'm gonna ask you the question which I ask everybody, Go for uh, it. which having heard one or two of these before, you'll un- you'll may have anticipated. Okay. Which is um when did you first go to the theatre? Well, does pantomime count? Mm. Uh, Fundamentally and absolutely, as long as you can specifically was, remember what which I can't mem- I, I can't where. specifically remember what it was called, right. but I know who was in it. Who was in it? It was in Eastbourne, and it had. Uh, do you remember um, that um, comedian with the he was a ventriloquist? Um, Ray Allen, Ray Allen, the Lord Charles. And the late uh, Lena Zavaroni. So it was a sort of some some sort of um but actually it wasn't a pantomime, I take it back. It was one of those sort of summertime sea Yeah, know, yeah, yeah summertime shows. special summertime kind of thing that used to happen in, in our Eastbourne. youth. And, Were um, you you went to Eastbourne to go to it? <laughs> I was part of um when I was younger I, I used to go to a youth club right. in um, Notting Hill, um, the rugby club. Which funnily enough has been made quite famous recently because it was a club that opened its doors to everybody delivering stuff for the victims of the Grenfell Tower. Right. That's my manor. That's my area. Right. I grew up there. I used, right. to, I used to see that tower every day when I lived. Right. Didn't take it for granted. But anyway, I used to go. I used to be a member of the of the club, and every they had a they had a camp in um, where was it Dimchurch. Right. So they used to just get all these London city kids out of London. It was quite good actually. Get out of London, <laughs> see a, see a bit of the, the sun of the seaside. Great. And then um, Great. and then as a treat, we would uh, they would take us to um to, to a theatre in Eastbourne and watch a <laughs> summertime special. So that was my first going into a theatre. Do you, do you, do you remember your response to it? I mean, I can only imagine the response to Nina Zavaroni and, and Ray Allen with <laughs> Actually, Lord. Actually, I, I quite enjoyed it. I quite. Yeah, it was I, the first time I saw famous people. I'm massively envious. First time you saw famous people uh, like in the same room. Since, as you. Well, actually, the first time I saw a famous person. Actually, you're like this. Was a footballer. I was um, eight years old. Right. It was George Best. I was in an airport. I think I can't remember if we were going somewhere or coming back from somewhere, but there was a big entourage of people. Lots of. F- f- cameras flashing and amongst it through through the crowd I saw George Best and I shouted Georgie and for about 10 seconds if that he looked at me and smiled and went on his way and I just thought George Best smiled at me because even though he was the enemy he played for you know, a team I didn't <laughs> appreciate Fulham I'm, I'm QPR at the time yeah, exactly. he was playing for Fulham wasn't he was he, he? Was Fulham, he playing yeah. for United was he playing no, for Fulham no no he left, he left right. United okay. he Fulham, you're not so that old they're, they're the enemy <laughs> yeah. but he was, he was still he was still one of my football heroes because um, oh the things he God. could do with football was outrageous um, I'm I'm impressed with your capacity to make any kind of utterance. <laughs> I met Eric Cantona a year or so oh, ago man. and literally couldn't speak. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's yeah. good. So that's so, um, That was my first thing to theatre. My first proper mm. theatre. Mm. Um, I was 17. I was at the National. So um, Footman Opera with um, oh, Tim Curry. Oh, I wish I'd seen that on. It's probably mm. on the NT uh, on the on the. 
the kind of website thing yeah. they've got in the yeah. studio, the archive. Mm. Oh, should I have gone have a look at it? How was that? That was great. I mean, we studied. We I was doing at that time. I was doing A level drama right. at a college in North London, Kingsway. Kingsway College. Yeah, no, Kingsway. Well, yeah. So it was just A level, and that was on our. We had to study for that play to right. get our A levels, and right. um, we just had a big, um, you know, student outing to go and see it at the National. That was my first time in the National Theatre. I always think the though those stories, the very early stories of very yeah. early theatre, which is often but not always pantomime, yeah, speak. Uh, in some way about our ongoing relationship to theatre. Yeah. So the notion of it being an adventure. Exactly. The notion of it being somewhere where you get out of yeah. where you ordinarily are. Yeah, yeah. And then being in the same room as famous people as well, which is still that's, really exciting to me. That was terrific. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but I think um, it wasn't that experience that really kind of got my resource where I would say theatre kind of sunk its fangs into me. Yeah, go on. It was, was more, well, it was more, it was more re- actually rehearsing, seeing actors rehearse. Because, um, um, I mean, I've said this often before, but I'll... Um, um, You've not said it to me. Okay, when I was a, when I was a kid, there was, <laughs> I was going through a phase at school where I, w- I was kind of misbehaving and not focusing and... Um, and I was, fo- I was behind in work and stuff and just right. um, in, in terms of delivery. And yeah, my my mum got you know one of those letters from school saying we're concerned about Roy. <laughs> so she and my sister kind of got together and said, okay. I, and my sister said, okay, I know someone who um, who kind of teaches on the side. Let's okay. get him. Let's give give him private. Yeah, let's, let's get him a private tutor. Brilliant. So I met this guy who was a friend of my sister's, a guy called Don Kinch. And if you know your jazz. I know the name, Don. Soweto Kinch. Kinch. You know, yeah. Soweto Kinch. Yeah. Soweto Kinch is his son. Wow. Yeah. Um, oh gosh. So and where I, did you go and work with Don Kinch? He had a flat in Holland Park, just off Holland Park Road, um, kind of between Holland Park and Shepherd's Bush. Right. So I would go there. I would have to. Well, I would have to go there every Saturday. Were you reluctant? Very reluctant. Don Kinch. Very reluctant. <laughs> so it was my Saturdays. Yeah. Was, no yeah. kid wants to go to school on a Saturday, and um, but you know. It was either that or my mum threatened me. She said, right, either that or you're, you're gonna, I'm going to send you to Jamaica. You're going to have go and live with relatives and be educated over there. And, and, and why was that less preferable than going um, to Notting Hill Gate? Mom, yeah. My mum always used to scare me stories about how disciplined teachers are in Jamaica. They take no shit. Really? I think it's, it's, always, it's a colonial thing, imperial thing, left over from the British when right. they left Jamaica. They're yeah. really kind of disciplined and oh pay God. attention and... Stand to attention when I enter the room and all and, and, and all of that. Really? So none of, the, none of the shit we were getting away with. So worth sacrificing a Saturday <laughs> afternoon with no, Don Kinch. Exactly. And what impact did he have on you? As well as being a, a teacher, I mean, he he was a writer, journalist. I think he just did anything he could lay his hands on. Right. And he used to co-write for this um, black magazine called Staunch. Right. And yeah. and it was sort of circulated very you know locally, not mm-hmm. not 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 nationally or anything like that. But it was all about what it meant to be black and British in those times. Right. Um, Which was just, just for the chronology, what mm, year was that, that roughly? Was, I'm, I can't, roughly, I'm guessing, between 79 and 81. So, so 1979 to yeah. 1981. Yeah. And volatile times. Very volatile times, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the Brixton riots was was, sure. was, you know, was, was was happening. Yeah. We just got over the Notting Hill riots in 76 and another one, another skirmish that occurred in 77. Mm-hmm. And so you could, you could always feel it in here, especially in the streets of Labour Grove. Right. And I remember the days when, yeah, yeah, it wasn't safe for a white person to walk down All Saints Road. It wasn't safe for certain black people to walk down All Saints Road back right. then. Now it's completely gentrified. Yeah. And yeah. and he he wrote about that. He responded to that. 
and and I liked it. I just I just you well, read his writing. I read his writing, his yeah. magazines. I mean, he purposely gave me gave me to them. I think he he said, you know what, you know, forget about your sons, forget about your English essay. Let's let's you know, let's talk about you <laughs> and me and what's going on in the world. He felt he yeah. felt that was more important for me to learn that that there was something right. latent within you that Absolutely. he'd identified that. Well, maybe, maybe conventional school wasn't releasing. Yeah, I mean, there yeah. was a, there was a group of us. I mean, we all of us. I think it was about six or seven. We used to sit around his breakfast table in his kitchen. Oh wow! And they they were the same stories. They were all like told by their parents, right? You know, buck up at school. <laughs> right, we're going to send you to get taught, but we're going to send you to Don. You're going to get the Don. You're going to get the Don. You'll love that. You'll love that. Um, you still is he still alive? Still yeah, alive? No, he's yeah. still around. He's still been, in touch um, with him. I met him. I was working on a TV project that didn't pan out, and it required me for for, him, for me to go up to Birmingham, where he lives, where he works now, to interview him. It was a great seeing him, and he was very, he was very proud of you know, the stuff I'm doing. Yeah, he and must I just be. said, I, you know, when I owe, I owe a lot to you, mate. Yeah. So yeah, so he and yeah, he just taught me stuff that I wasn't learning at school about being young, about being black. Do you remember specifically things which you remember being introduced to that you'd not considered before? Well, that, that that's kind of what I'm coming to because um, he also used to write um, plays for a company. It was like an offshoot of the magazine, and they were called. It's the most beautiful title for 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 a theatre company I've yeah. ever heard. It's called Staunch Poets and Players. <laughs> that's oh, what they were called. That's nice. And they did um, pieces of theatre again about the black experience. Not not universal view, but just their view as they as young black black actors saw it. Yeah. So yeah. and express themselves in sort of theatre scenes. There was sort of um, poetry, people stepping out poetry, but you know all about you know what what it's like being British and how tough it is, but also the joy of it as well. Oh. And I used to sit down. We used to work. We used to rehearse up in this old church in in Acton, and it was mm. just great. We all met outside Don's house, and it's just these bunch of older black people, you know. In the twenties and thirties, laughing, joking, and yeah, yeah. I didn't always get the joke, but yeah, but they just. <laughs> How old were you at this? Stage? Oh, 11, 12. Right, it was just being, That's an being in their company. Transformative experience. Oh, they were like gods. They were really, they were yeah. funny and um, and loud and raucous. I remember <laughs> when we had to wait for the bus and get bus to Acton, and they were so loud on the bus and just <laughs> exuberant and just um, and real kind. Of, yeah, yeah. Oh, it, it, it was it was an exciting time. I used to watch them rehearse. Mm. Um, I used to read in, read in lines with, for an actor who was running late or couldn't show up. Right. And I make tea and coffee. I join in the warm ups, and it was great. And I just thought this this is a great way to spend Saturday. <laughs> I I absolutely loved it. But then um, once my grades started picking up at school, I, I and, and I and I got you know distracted by other things. You know, I like just get going out with my mates and, yeah. and such. Yeah. I didn't I didn't go back I didn't go back as much. But it 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 it, it, it um it's it got into me all that stuff and that yeah. made me want to pursue it that gang Even, the, 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 the anarchy and celebration and vitality yeah. of being in a gang uh, yeah I never came back to it um, until after until long after I left school right so what, was, what, what, what happened oh just you? life did you go to university no I, I left school at 16 right um, didn't stay on for sixth form did you write at all at that stage? No, You'd not no, written, you didn't even written. not even privately in a way that you'd never said to anybody I wrote before. Short, I wrote like little short stories. Right. But that's that's about it. Just for yourself yeah. or for school or whatever. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And yeah. Um, well I do remember one time when I was fifteen. <laughs> um I um I was a massive fan of the T V series Grain Chill. 
because you're an intelligent man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I and I wrote a letter. I wish I kept. I wrote a letter to the BBC. To I found out which era was your Grange Hill. Were you uh, I know you can always tell how people are with Violet. My Zamo, era was Tucker. I, I that's when I started stopped watching it when Zamo when Zamo used Tucker, heroin when Tucker and Benny no when <laughs> just say no I completely gave up on it that was that was no longer it was no longer my green Benny. chill anymore it was Tuck a Tucker Tucker Tuck, yeah Tucker Jenkins and Benny Green yeah <laughs> they were they were my eyes I mean funny Benny Green he was um, the first pers- first person of colour I saw on television who I related to when he came on screen with the, ball, Hill. with the football I thought. Wow, he looks like me. He, oh my god, I know he sounds like me. And then, as the program continues, all the other kids arriving at the school, I just sort of thought, that's that's us. Yeah, that's my school. That's uh, that's who we are. Um, I never forgot that. Um, the way you talk about it, mm. and uh, I think as a kind of forty-six-year-old middle-class white heterosexual <laughs> cisgendered man, I'm probably yeah. the perfect person to to be an authority in all of these questions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but what it's just fascinating watching you talk about it, the the sense of revelation yeah. when you talk about when you talk about Benny Green. Yeah, it's like it's not. It's not that you were waiting to hear that story no, no. or see that character. It's that you it never even considered it the never possibility. Even considered because um, yeah. at that time I was sort of um, I used to when I was at, when I was at school and this is after the time when, when Granger came out. Our teacher Miss Graham we used to sit us in the corner, and she, no, she was sitting in the corner. And we were like gathered around her. It's like listen with mother, and she would like read chapters from a, an Ian Blyton book. And I loved it, loved it. Yeah, of I was, I, I, That's when I got the, the bug, and it's still with me. I love being told a story. Right. I hate telling stories. I'm always, you know, I'm, 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 I'm traditionally quite quiet, in any sort of environment you put me in because I like to listen. I just want, I don't, I don't want to talk. I want to hear them. I want to hear people speak. Mm. I'm, I'm fascinated by people. I think you said that once in an interview, and I, it really stayed with me. Mm. And, yeah, and so I wasn't looking for it, and. I, I mean, like, because I grew up in a one-parent family, so I and my, my siblings were a lot older than myself. And my mum, when she worked as a nurse in a in a in a, OA, in a OAP home, so, so there were times when um, her um, oh, what am I saying? The there was times when she worked on social hours. Yeah, okay. She had to work, do nights, so I had yeah. a lot of babysitters. Right. And they were just plotting in front of the TV, and I right. watched everything, right. everything, right, upstairs, downstairs, right. The professionals, all, every yeah. single thing, and and I absorbed it. And I remember I, to, to this day, I scare people. I want to say I remember lines from uh, I was there's downstairs. I was in nineteen seventy six or something like that. Uh, <laughs> I, I was just that kind of kid. So, but there was nothing until Benny Green showed up in Green Jail. There was nothing for me on there. Right. But um, right, right. So it was, like like you said, I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't demanding. I just yeah. kind of, oh, that's just the norm. That's just the way things are. Yeah. And then he comes along and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> game changer. Yeah, that's really. Have you? Who's the actor who played him? Terry Sue Pat. He passed away about three years ago, quite sadly. Did you ever meet him? No, never met him. Never met him. I um, I've got a play coming up in Hampstead in October called The Firm, and I dedicated the play to him because he, yeah, he helped to change my life. Really fundamental figure. He's um, yeah, yeah. I don't don't, yeah. He probably yeah. He's never met me. Probably never heard of me. But um, he might have done. <laughs> but I would, I would, I would have liked to have met him. Yeah. Uh, so I, I dedicated that play to him because I just thought, yeah, you're, because it's, yeah, fair play to him. 
Yeah, he just he, you know, what he did changed a lot of people's lives. I mean, when he died, there was a lot of tributes, and they've, yeah. and I'm not the only person to have said that about him. That a lot of people said, oh, he, yeah, he, he yeah, he, 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 he in, in his way, he told us we exist. Wow. When uh, so you're 16, you leave school at 16. Oh, yeah. What did you do? You stay in West London. I stayed in West London. Yeah, yeah I didn't leave. Uh, didn't leave until I was 26. Right. Um, did college, did, you know, did A-level drama, just kind of like most people, just drifted, you know, mm-hmm. just did various jobs. Writing was always in the back of my mind, but I never, I think I just lacked the will to kind of say, right, and take it seriously. And it's in the back of because of Don Kinch? Because of Don Kinch, because, because of Benny Con- Green. Because and Ian Brighton. And Ian Brighton, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, Alright, so, te- so what happened? Oh, I, I, mean, when- I got sidetracked by acting. Yeah, um, how did you? Yeah, I did A level drama, and right. part of that you had to, you also had to perform as well, which I right. kind of enjoyed. Right, and went to a youth theatre up in North London, the Cockpits. Um, Where well, the old Soho Theatre Company That's used to it. be. Yeah. yeah, they used to be there. They yeah. used to be like sort of working youth theatre. Yeah, and that was fantastic. I mean, we would, I met lots of new friends, friends I'm still, I still see now. Yeah, and we would, um, we did everything. We, you know. We, built our own sets, we directed, we wrote and we acted and it was good fun. Mm. And and I thought, well, yeah, that's as good as it's going to get. I'm mm-hmm. fine with this. <laughs> and then uh, Stuart Bennett, who ran the theatre, he um, he saw me, you know, I was there, and he sort of said, look, um, this professional theatre company who do work for young people, they need a black actor urgently. <laughs> Are you interested in auditioning? And I went, yeah, OK, why not? Was it mainly, was it, were you the... Unusually, was it unusual to have a black actor in the cockpit? Young? No, 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 no. It was mixed. It was. So you um, must have been so good. It's not. Of us. Yeah. He no, he just you. he just thought of me. He just yeah. said, you know, do you cool. want to do want to audition for it? Great. I think he was on the board or something. He just, I think they they they, they did call out to people. Yeah. And Brilliant. then he told me, so he gave me the number, called them, auditioned the next day, and the next day I got the job. Um, Brilliant. Brilliant. So, uh, so, t- so you pursued acting. Mm. I pursued acting. How yeah. were you making your money? How were you learning, earning your living? Um, I was still living at home at the time, and um, I mean, bear in mind I was twenty years old, so yeah. the money they were paying me at that back then—that was that's more money I've earned <laughs> in my life. So I thought yeah. I was the king. Yeah. Didn't think about putting money away for tax, but I right. Just, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like I said, I was twenty. Yeah. You don't know, you, you don't automatically think about those things, yeah. and um, yeah, when I got the tax bill a year later, you know, then I started thinking. <laughs> um, yeah, so I did that for about a year and a half. Um, mm-hmm. Toured in the van. Wow, all over. Where, where were you all over touring? England, all over, all over the country. Oh, what? And, and that was what the early eighties, mid eighties. That was um, um, eighty-eight, eighty-nine. Okay, cool. So late eighties. Right. It was at a time when, because um, the company I was working for, particularly they, um, they did a play before I joined that that went as far as um, Norman Tebbett bringing it up in the House of Commons, saying this is the kind of filth and awfulness oh. that. You know, young people should not be exposed to in schools, and it should be stopped immediately. <laughs> what was it about? Um, it was called Peacemaker. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. What, I don't know exactly what it was about. Mm. Um, but it was around about the time, and um, I think it was at. I think in in a bigger picture, I think it was at the time when the young people's theatre was um, was identified as being very. Um, it, it was they they went hand in hand with theatre and education. Right. Very left wing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very yep. right on and yep. and. Yeah, in in their work, you know, subvertly political, mm-hmm. extremely political, mm-hmm. um, and that uh, angered Tebbit, and, and that angered Tebbit, that yeah. angered that government at the time, and it was also roughly about around right about the time when um, 
you know, they, re- they introduced um, Clause 4. Yeah. Again, you, know, you, you will not promote homosexuality yeah. in schools. It's an extraordinary thing so, to think about that. So, it, but, but in the funny when I look back at it now, I just kind of thought, well, I, you know, it's part of me that just seemed to like being with people who liked a good fight. Like being with Dom <laughs> yeah. and that. That's and then great. with the theatre centre with that, That's I just thought, well, yeah, I like, oh, yeah, oh, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm up for a fight. Bring on yeah. the combat. Bring on the combat, absolutely. Yeah. Were you more having having had that mm. revelatory moment with Grange Hill? Yeah. Was your notion of your own colour, your blackness in nineteen eighty eight? Very much so. England, it was what? it was difficult being with them because again, like I was twenty years old. Right. I knew. I mean, I had beliefs or but you know, blossoming beliefs within me, but um, I wasn't as articulate as maybe I'm more articulate now. But right. back then, I was, I was still learning, mm. and I felt and but I felt. It felt I felt tough for me when I was working with Theatre Centre because, like I said, because I was I was working with a group of people who were so much, much more articulate than I was, yeah. and there's me, little black me, thinking, you know, I'm not as smart as these people, but they want me to be the voice of the black, the, the young black man. And I just right. thought, well, I don't know what that is. I'm I'm fi- I'm figuring it all out. Yeah. So as much as I enjoyed it, yeah. it, it, it was it was tough. Yeah. And. I mean, I, I, I just enjoyed performing. I, enjoy, I enjoyed that side of it. Even though the more I started working with working on plays with writers who I really admired, um, Lynn Coughlin, yeah. Philip Osmond, and most importantly was a writer called Noel Gregg. Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. I know Noel Gregg because he oh, used he to was, teach in the Young Writers Programme. That's, that's the I fella. Did, yeah. yeah, and um, he was a massive, massive, massive influence on me. Because wow. um, I... I when we because we rehearsed one of his plays and just hearing him talk about writing and how much he loved it and how much he just yeah you know, it, it felt him I just kind of thought I want to be like him brilliant. and brilliant like had I you was, started writing at I, all I, yeah. I started you know I wrote a piece when I was at when I did at the youth theatre mm. and like so it's, it's like for a year and a half it was almost like um, I was on one end of, of a sofa and I was on the on the other side and each month I was like get closer and closer <laughs> to him until finally I got to him spitting, diff- bit, spitting, spitting, distance. spitting distance of him and I just yeah. said no um, can you read this oh. tell me what you think and he told me what he thought and then, I, and then when he liked it, I was so relieved. Yeah, of course. I, uh, I said, you know, I'm, that's what I want to do. I, wanna, I don't want to act, I want to write. And, and, and he was very, very supportive of me. So what did you do? He had a writer's group that um, he would run at Theatre Centre in the evenings. Mm-hmm. And he invited me to join. Great. And we'd just sit down and we would just talk about each other's work. Right. Be very, it was a real kind of supportive yeah. um, atmosphere. Yeah. And they gave me notes about my play, and encouraged, and no particularly encouraged me to sort of develop it much more and more. And you I did, to... and it was a play. Um, I only had one play when I applied for a writer's course at Rose Bruford. Yeah, it was that one. Yeah, right. And great. I gave it in, and then you got, and you got and, on the course, and, and I got, and I got. A How place. long was the course? Three years. Three years. Yeah. Down in Sidcup. Down in Sidcup. How was that? Good. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it was a blur. Three years right. like that just went so quick. Must have been weird not living in West London for a while. I didn't. I commuted <laughs> from West was, London. Oh, that was that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Not. No, um, it must be a two-hour commute. It was at least, yeah. yeah. And but, it was a crazy time because I think because um, I did the call. I did that during the day, mm. and even though I got a grant, mm. it was still minimal. So I used to work in the theatre. I used to do um, front of house in the cockpit. No, in in the West End. Oh, did you? Yeah, I, yeah did they, you? Moved, they moved us about. I, it's, I think 
Somebody should do a study on writers, yeah. actors, theatre makers of significance who have worked as an usher or in the front <laughs> yeah, of house yeah. of a theatre. <laughs> yes. Did you, do you remember seeing surprised. anything working in the front of house? Is there anything? Oh no, we had to we had to do all, all do shifts. I mean, I saw Miss Saigon about fifty bloody Brilliant. times. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Leo Butler always talks about watching the Weir because he was an usher at the Royal Court. Yes, I remember. Yeah, watching the Weir a hundred times. Me, was he? Yeah. And uh, I guess when you're watching a play as robust as the Wii, you do learn. Yeah. I imagine you learned less from watching Miss Saigon. Exactly. No, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was West End, so I never saw kind of um, the plays that I suppose would have got cut right. by interest like Leo's, like we yeah. did with Leo. Right. Um, I saw Miss Saigon, I saw Phantom yeah. of the Opera. Right. It was that kind of, it was those theatres I worked at. We're waiting for the full-blown... Roy Williams' West End musical. I know, I know. I've, I've come <laughs> close a couple of times. I've come close. You've come close, but, you yeah, know. Um, I think the, um, so, um, Rose Bruford was three years. Yeah. Uh, a blur, as you describe it. Yeah. Was it there that you wrote No Boys Christmas? That was for my final degree. Right. For my final um, third year. Do you remember anything of the process of writing? It's funny enough, um, I don't remember. I know I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't remember. Yeah. I t- I, actually, no, I'll tell a lie. I do remember. I, uh, actually, I, t- I told this story yesterday, last night. Yeah. Um, I do. That was. I remember I was writing a play at home on a, on an Amstrad computer. Yeah. With yeah. the kind of. Um, oh, the old. Um, kind of scrolling text. Yeah, which takes, quite... like, which takes like 10 years to print the yeah. page. Oh um, God! Yeah, I remember those prints. So I was writing it, getting it all ready for me to deliver it on on the Monday. So because that was a deadline mm. for our, you know for our degree, and the computer decided it didn't like me anymore and <laughs> wiped the script clean from the drive. Everything, completely gone. Oh, I still get the shakes and I still I'm talk sorry. about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I screamed, "Fuck!" Picked up the computer, threw it across the room. You know, I don't normally lose my temper, but in that case, I made an exception. Took a deep breath, picked the computer back up, turned it on, it was working. And then... Was the play there? No, it was <gasps> got, still gone. I, had, I, I took a deep, long breath, sat down and rewrote the entire play from memory. I had to do it. If I delayed any second longer, or went out or something, it would have gone out of my head. So I had to get it while it was still in there. And... It wasn't just the wasn't just the words. It was just uh, you might be able to understand this. It's just it was just a rhythm within the words that was more, actually I was I was scared to lose. I think I could have got the words back, but it was a rhythm yeah. I had yeah. in my head. I kind yes. of thought I can't lose that. Yeah. I can't lose that words. It would just be words. I, I, it, it needs the music between the words. Yeah. yeah. So I just yeah you know, I you know I've cancelled whatever plans I was making that day. And and I stayed indoors, and I didn't leave my desk until I, until until I got to the end again. I guess that kind of concentration, mm. though, clearly it would have been better if the circumstances had been slightly different. Yeah. But to be able to write a whole play in like twenty four hours, yeah. thirty six hours, yeah. gives you that rhythmic concentration. Yeah, in a it's way not something I'd recommend <laughs> to people. Really unless wouldn't. they're actively choosing yeah. to do unless it. Unless you're actively choosing to do it, yeah. <laughs> 
But even then, it's I question it. But oh my god, it was. Um, but I the computer held up second time. It round. held up. Maybe I mean, in I, you, Roy. Maybe you, you blame the computer. <laughs> you say it didn't like you. Maybe in you. But Maybe in you. you went said, again. You know what, Roy, you, it's like an actor doing another this. take. Yeah, like, you're nearly there. Yeah. But I bet if I do this, you're yeah. gonna nail it. Yeah. <laughs> and you did. And you and did. And I did. And I did. Yeah. And I did. And, um, went on Stratford East. Do you did. remember? Do you remember the 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 acceptance moment? It was. I wrote the, I sent the play to three theatres. Yeah. Um, Stratford East, Hampstead and the Royal Court. Those are the only ones I could afford to. These are days before and we all had internet and emails. Young people today, they don't play. They don't know anything. <laughs> they don't know their I used to. I used to have to uh, sweet talk oh. the, uh, the administrators yeah. in the office of yeah. the bookshop I worked in to get them to use the franking machine so I could ah, send scripts out yeah. without paying postage. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and those are the only three things, because I, I was just down to my last tuppence. Yeah. So I can only afford three theatres, and I chose those three. Right. Um, Good choices. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, and all three theatres have gone on to define your career. Exactly. <laughs> um, I, I got letters back, you know, traditional thank you for, we'll be in touch, mm. blah, blah, blah. And... I wasn't that, all. I all I wanted was just them to sort of tell tell me what what they thought of it. Yeah. That would have been. I would have broken out the champagne if they did that. Yeah. And then like three months later, and it was quite strange because it all happened within the same week. All three theatres called me. <laughs> ben Yankovic from Hampstead called me first and said, "We read your play. Yeah. Fancy coming in for a chat." Then two days later, it was um, Stratford East. Paul Everett, who was a literary manager there, called Brilliant. me. And then um, to cap it off, um, Dominic Tickell, who at the time ran the Young People's Theatre, yeah, of called course. me. And he said, oh, you're just around the corner from us. Because that's when they were on Portobello Road. Yeah, and I, I, was on Cambridge, I used to live on Cambridge Gardens. Yeah. I said, great. And he goes, well, are you doing anything right now? I said, no, come over. <laughs> so I was there within two minutes. <laughs> I, d- I had no idea they were there. They were based there. And, oh. and, I, you know, and I established a relationship with all three of those theatres. And Stratford East were the ones who ended up... Um, Producing the play. What are your memories of the production? Oh, it was um, sublime, and because um, because even then I, I was aware of kind of restrictions, well, supposed restrictions young play, playwrights have with their first plays. I you know, you're always encouraged not to write a play for twelve or such because yeah. who's going to do it? Yeah. Um, but I had the advantage because I wrote I wrote it at college. So you're writing it for student actors? I was no, I was just writing it for me for my degree. Right, okay, great. So I kind of no one's gonna no one's gonna yeah, it wasn't just, written for production. No one's gonna it's not gonna get produced. So yeah. I can write about whatever I want. So I can be as big as I want. And funnily enough, that is what that is what made them want to do the play because that's what Paul said. He said um, he he says his job was he 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 goes through all the scripts that mm. come through. And he says the nine yeah you know, eight eight out of those are not suitable. Yeah. And then he read mine and he just and he said I mean. I used to think, you know, is he just saying it just to butter me up? But he said, no, no, honestly, that's true. He said, he said, within three page, within three pages of reading, it, he said, Strathfield's got to do this play. He took it straight to, um, he said, he took it straight to um, Philip Headley, mm. slammed it on his desk and saying, we've got to do it. We've got to do this piece. Um, and, and what are your memories of uh, the rehearsals? Because having loved rehearsals at the Cockpit Youth Theatre. Yeah. Or, or of the production putting in front that of was an interesting. audience, that, it was, that it, volatile it was, audience. It was the first time I met um, Indu River Singham, who was an associate director there at the time. Yeah. And she's got, you know, she's gone to be a... Yeah, she's pretty busy successful. now, Yeah, she? <laughs> she's doing all right. But more, Artistic director of the tricycle. Yeah, but more than that, she's, my, she's you know, one of my dearest friends yeah. now. And... Um, so they kind of get, you know, they 
gave her to me and sort of you know, great. And, well I think they actually I think they gave me to her yeah um, yes. and she was great very I remember <laughs> first day rehearsals that was early in her career as yeah, well it was very right? early in her career and um, it was a nice it was a nice education on how writers are in rehearsal rooms or something. I mean I had a sense of it anyway yeah but I remember somebody said, um, oh, so how long are you going to be in rehearsals for, Roy? And before I can answer, Indra said, he's going to be here every day. <laughs> <laughs> I want him here every single day. It's important. <laughs> I went, okay, all right, all right. <laughs> all right, Gov, what do you say? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, but, I, but I, I, I think I probably would have been there every day anyway. Yeah. I just, I... I just loved it. So I just and did the play materialise in the way that you'd hoped it would materialise? It, it did, and more, actually. And your first experience of that kind of alchemy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, changes here, changes there. But um, what, I, what I came away from, surprisingly, was it was still pretty much the play that I wrote. At Rose Bruford, did people perform your plays? They did, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. That was tricky, because... Um... <laughs> but this was... Go on, no, go on. No, because... Um... I think I think it's quite indicative of, um, and still same problem now in, in some drama schools. Uh, there's not enough actors of colour there. Right. Um, right. Being taught, being taught there, and in my year, because even, even though we did a writers' course, we knew we got to know the actors. Yeah. There was only one black actor there in in that entire year, and a young black actress. And so when it came to mm. the time when our when we were writing our plays, we needed actors. We needed we wanted access to the students and yep. do our stuff. Yeah. It was hard for me because I kind of thought, well, I'm writing about black characters. Where you haven't, you, you haven't got any. What do I do? Were you consciously at Rose Bruford and then with uh, the early plays? Mm. It was a conscious decision to write black stories. Yeah, yeah. Characters. It just it, it felt natural to me. It just felt well, you know, I'm black. I'm writing from my experience. Yes. Yeah. So it, were it, you writing from your own experience? I mean, Nobles my experience, is, my, my my mother's yeah. experience, my, and yeah. my mother's experience. Just at, at that time, experiences that I that I knew of. And the early plays, uh, the the early other plays, yeah. uh, you know, up to Lift Off or yeah. even Clubland at the mm. Royal Court, similarly kind of driven by lives that you'd lived or witnessed yes. quite close hand. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. I mean, I don't think that's any different to what every single writer does. You write from sure. Was it a bit, yeah, absolutely. I think especially early plays, we yeah. kind of tend to in some way draw it from ourselves. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, even then, but my sort, but um, my sort of political awareness was 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 always was was growing back then. Just saying, no, god damn it, um, I don't care if you only got one black actor in your year. Yeah. I'm writing what I want to write about, and if you haven't got enough black actors to, to service me, that's your problem, not mine. Great. So I still has I have that sort of stubbornness in me. Great. Then I remember, funny enough, uh, do you know the actor Joe Milson? He's a stage actor. I don't know if I... Yeah. I think I know the name, but I'm rubbish with names. He's done a few but, stuff here at the yeah, court. Yeah, sure. He was in my year at the right. time. And um, <laughs> I remember um, we were doing... Uh, I think we were doing a term on comedy writing. Yeah. So we each had to go and write a, a half-hour sitcom pilot. Mm -hmm. And my one was kind of like... Um, remember that TV series The Wonder Years? Yeah. That kid. Yeah. My one was about sort of young... It was based on my brother's experiences when he came to England when he was about... 16, 15, um, he came to England first. No, he, my parents, I mean, this happened, this happened so many, so, so many after to West Indian families. They would always, the mums and dads would come first, yeah. like sort of um, late 50s, early 60s. Right. Buy, get a job, buy a house. Yeah. Once they've got enough money, they send for the kids. Wow. But sometimes it could be like sort of 10 years before they saw the kids again. Wow. And that was the case with my brother. So he came to England late 60s. And um, yeah, to a country he you know didn't know. Yeah, reunite with parents he barely he barely remembers. 
Jesus. So that was a real culture shock and difficult for him. And you wrote a sitcom about And I wrote a sitcom <laughs> based on his experiences. Again, but the college didn't have any black actors. So the white actors had to play black. <laughs> and it was it was something else it was uh, oh interesting God. yeah they were to kind of but I uh, and Joe was uh, was in it he played the main part yeah. and I say that for him particularly for them particularly for Joe they took it seriously they right. went for it I mean yeah. I was I was in the corner pissing myself then trying to do the West Indian accent like I thought this is just surreal so what that kind of experience because mm. the way you talk there's a yeah. when you talk about your writing yeah. I love the way in which you talk about your writing imagined versions of the life you've lived or the lives yeah. you've witnessed at close hand yeah. but that kind of experience politicises a gesture that's quite yes. personal yes you know you, you, you weren't necessarily starting off saying no. I'm going to write black stories because mm. nobody's writing you were just writing your life I was just writing my life and found there, wasn't, it, exactly. there was no equipment and to tell politics, that story the politics properly. came with it and I have no problem with that because yeah. um, like I said I was always aware of kind of the imbalance and yeah, injustice, injustice yeah. I felt that you know yeah. people you know, p- you know people like me you know people of colour were having were receiving in this country and, I, and I, I think I came off the wave of that I think it's more my older brother I think he felt he felt it more than I did right that um, I think there was a real in the late 80 in, in the early 80s of that sort of second generation of coming of age I mean there was sort of 18 19 you know, leaving school back to the big wide world and still feeling like they're getting shat on yeah. and they look at their parents and yeah. say well you were treated like shit yeah. it's not happening to us because I think my mum's generation they had that kind of um, keep your head down son just keep your head down buckle down do your work yeah. and yeah. and I think that frustrated their kids because they kind of think we are doing that we are doing that but they're still making us feel we don't belong here it's, un- it's to a degree it was slightly understandable because you guys came here yeah. We were bloody born here. Yeah. And they're still doing this. We're not having it. And they rebelled and, and, and you saw the you know, the results, you know, the, the riots in eighty one yeah. and again in eighty five and border was a farm and so on and so on and all over all over England. So and I kind of like I said, so I, I was aware of that. I mean, yeah, I mean when I was when I was sixteen, seventeen, I lost count the amount of times I was stopped and searched by police. Um, a few times around here, actually, down Kings Road, I remember. Um, but I, um, I don't think I got it as bad as maybe my brother's mates did. Uh, but it was still unsettling, you know, police guy just pull up, oi, where are you going? What's your name? Right, let's see some ID. All right, on your way. That's all they would say, pretty much. Yeah, he never got further than that. I mean, I, was, I think I was smart enough not to give him any lip. Um, but it was still, that was still unsettling. Yeah, just to be stopped like that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I grew up with all and then, that. And then, and then, when it happens repeatedly, exactly, it moves from being unsettling to, to being. What's this about? <laughs> yeah, what a is this about? Yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, and so, so like you grew a, up with that politicised sense. I grew up with that sense, and it is in those early plays. It yeah. is in Liftoff and yeah. in Clubland. Very much, so, and Fallout. And, so. I mean, Fallout to me. I mean, is, am I wrong to identify as that being a different, a different type of play to those plays? It feels more. It was. As it, was, it, was, it, was it felt. It felt like Liftoff and Clubland. That, I mean, I love your early plays. Oh, bless you. But Sing Your Heart Out and Fallout, yeah. I think, are extraordinary. It was. Um, it's. It's the most angry play I've written. Yeah, I think because. Um, not angry in terms of, 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 well, I suppose it was in, in, in the script itself, but where it came from. Because um, I remember after Clubland, this is like under Ian's reign, um, 
he yeah we had a chat in the bar and he just said okay these were the days when theatres did this they don't do it so much anymore he's yeah. just like okay Roy let's have a meeting let's talk about your next piece it's just yeah. assumed you're writing another piece but regardless how, how the play went down yeah. don't care yeah. just like you're doing another one yeah. he did that when I wrote, when I wrote Lift Off he said right okay Roy let's, let's yeah. get a date in the diary what are you going to write next Great. and that was Club Great. And then for that and then but after Clubland that was special because he took me downstairs and said I think you're ready for to write a play for the downstairs and I was well excited because mm. from the minute when I first came to the Royal Court when I first met Graham Wybrow and Stephen Daldry and those guys I I saw my I imagined seeing my name outside the big lights there is something about those it lights is. isn't there I mean it's every time I always take a photograph yeah so the staff here just yeah. think it's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. But, you know, this photo got a bird. There's on one writer always... who will rename Nameless yeah. who's um, done all right, very successful. Yeah. He's had a few stuff in the West End. Yeah. Still can't get a play here. And they, they, they just say, I would give my left bollock <laughs> to have my name outside like to the Royal Yeah, Palace. it's very and special. You, motherfucker, I've had it done twice. <laughs> what well, was the... There what... was the breaks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what was the first play you saw here at the in that room, in the downstairs rather than upstairs? It was um, King Lear. Uh, Max's wow. uh, production with um, yeah. Andy Serkis playing The Fool. F- fantastic. Uh, that, that was... And he's, but what about a new play? New play... Oh, it wasn't until I got... Um, I, I became part of the Royal Court Inner Circle. Yeah. I think it was... Um, it was, wasn't was a very good play. Maybe I won't mention it, because it wasn't that good. <laughs> I do remember well, coming here, queuing up for to a get long to see Mojo. When Liftoff was on... Yeah. yeah. Was that in Was that in the West End? Liftoff was... At the Ambassadors. At the yeah. Ambassadors, 1999. yeah. 1999. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Ian took me downstairs into in, 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 in the space, and we talked, and, and he just said, you know what? I'm going to leave you here. Yeah, take as much time as you like. Leave whenever you want to. Just take it all in, the space. Mm. And, that, yeah. that, and that's something I still think about ever since. Whenever I, I, I write a play, I'm always thinking consciously about the space it's, it's set in. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I, I always make points to tell younger writers that. Because um, I'm surprised yeah. that some of them are still not aware of it. I just say, oh, you've got to be aware. You've got to... Yeah. If you're writing for the Tricycle Theatre, see a play at the Tricycle and really... And do, when, you, and when you're working space. now, do you see... Yeah. When you're writing a scene, you see the stage Yeah, sometimes, sometimes I, you know, I may overdo it sometimes, but yeah. And, yeah. I, and when I go and see plays, I kind of think, no, it shouldn't have been that space. It should have been somewhere else. And and so it, it, it's, it's, it's something I think very much a lot about now. Tell me about the writing of Fallout. Well, um... So yeah, Ian left me there, mm. and that's and and I was I was writing something else, and it just wasn't clicking. Right. And the deadline was getting closer and closer to my first draft delivery, and nothing was coming out. And um, I guess I just didn't know why I was writing that 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 that, that piece. Yeah. And I just didn't have a clue. And then um, at the time, I was following the Damalola Taylor story, the case. Not with the intention of writing the play. I was just, I was just, I was just, I just had a, 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 a keen interest in it. Mm-hmm. And what what surprised me was was the amount of attention it was getting from everybody. Yeah. You know, you know, a young black kid gets stabbed on the stair when a state that's been happening before. And I was wondering, well, why, why this? Why why were we seeing that picture of that beautiful angelic face everywhere? Yeah. And it was because of Stephen Lawrence. Right. They fucked up. Yeah, that one. Yeah. So all eyes were on on them this time. So mm. okay, are they going to learn from their mistakes? And they didn't. They they screwed it up in many other different ways. Yeah. And 
yeah. I at the time when I was writing that play, I managed to get hold of the transcripts, the court transcripts in, in the case, when when the Damlader case fell apart and the girl Bromley. Yeah. Um. You, you, to this day, you still don't know what her real name was. And she was called Bromley because she was underage. She was underage yeah. and under, under witness protection. Yeah. And there was just something about the world this girl came from clashing with the world of the old Bailey, the old, sure. the old pomp and circumstances, yeah. you know, all rise and you yeah. swear by almighty God. And she uh. was, and she, she, she had a right two-hander moment with the judge. And it was awful and sad. It was also funny because there was this young 12-year-old girl telling this 60-year-old man, a judge, to go fuck himself. <laughs> and not just her, not just him, but everybody. And it was like, there was just, these two worlds were completely unprepared for each other. They just didn't know how to yeah. connect. There was nothing to connect. It was just two worlds thrown in together. And it was like, it was, it was almost like being in a gladiator ring back in the Roman times, you know. Yeah, you don't know what's going what, to, who's, who's going to come out of that drawbridge. And who you're going to face. And it, hmm. it was very much like that. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, the whole thing... It, it was sad, and that was I. I, I yeah, it took a boy's death for me to write that play. Yeah. Um, but when but that that image of those two worlds, her world and his world, clashing together, then the play wrote itself afterwards. The, it really the, the other, I mean, I think that image of these two worlds are not prepared for each other. Yeah. Could sit in any of your plays that I know. <laughs> well, <laughs> it seems that, like it, a real it a trend. interrogation. It started, it started yeah. a trend. I mean, yeah. So, yeah, it kind of propelled me to kind of be. And in yeah. earlier ones as well, no? Yeah, it's a little um, bit of in club. Sing Art. Sing Art. Sing Art out. Yeah. Was, was a, um, kind of a year before. The other thing which is in the play, which is something you've returned to in later plays, is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not sure if it was in earlier plays, or, uh, I can't remember right off the top of my head, it's the police. Yeah. More than any playwright that I know, you've yeah. written regularly about the police. Yeah, is that a conscious thing? No, no. Um, I don't know. I think I think I just kind of go where the story takes me, really. Right. Um, and things, events occur. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, I wrote about the police when my when my play Wildfire that was on the Hampstead a couple yeah. of years ago because that was a response to the London riots. Yes, right. I I just felt compelled. I felt you know. I, I I need to write something about about that. Yeah, um, but not necessarily about the riots, but something inspired from it. I wonder if, to a degree, and this might be re- mm. me really running with a metaphor far too far, and with no kind of like sense of elegance or mm. uh, uh, intelligence. But I wonder if, in a wo- in a culture where often two worlds are not prepared for one yeah. another, the job of the police is to kind of manage the kind of rift that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have, a, I have a level of sympathy for them. I, I think you level, write about them in, level... in Fallout with great sympathy. Yeah, and a level of compassion. I mean, yeah, they, they, yeah, they, they, they've haven't always conducted themselves properly. Yeah, and and I'm I I, I like to think I'd be, I'm as critical of them as, as yeah. anybody. Yeah. But as a dramatist, I, I, I you know, I wasn't just intru- I, you know, I, I just wanted to get, I always wanted to get, just get a little bit deeper. But you know, I think that's isn't that not common with most writers? You just you want to you want to dig, but you want you want to dig deep, don't you? I, I think you know. do. Yeah, yeah, I think you do. Yeah, and dig deep into that thing you don't understand. Exactly. Exactly. That thing that, uh, you dig deep into the irritation. Yeah. You stick your and finger you find in the out, wind. You find out about yourself. Yeah, and, of course. Um, and you ca- and you have fun. Potentially comparing, okay, what you believed in twenty years ago to what you feel is the case now. Yeah. Um, 
I, I think that's really interesting. And um, I often tell, well, I, I don't. It might come from you actually, or someone. They, um, in terms of lots of history, you know, as you, as we all continue this crazy career of, of being a playwright. Mm. Um, yeah, your first few plays, you write about what you know, obviously, but then, if you want to prolong it, you know, if you want to be, you know, writing your sixth or seventh or eighth play. That's the time when you start writing about what you don't know. Yeah, great. Or what you want to find out. Yes. Yeah. I think that's really important. Tell me about your day, your writing day. Do you have a routine? I do. I'm, I'm an early riser, which drives my partner mad. Cause I know this about yeah, you. But I'm when a, you say early riser, there are people who will be astonished by how early you rise. I get up about six, six, six o'clock. <laughs> Yeah. You don't have children or anything. I know, I know, I know. So go on, you get up at six. I get up at six. Yeah. I make coffee for Fiona. She's normally out of the house by eight. Right. On the way to work. Um, I'm, I, I faff about for about an hour. Okay. Watching cats fall out of trees on YouTube. Brilliant. And stuff. <laughs> I think it's really important. <laughs> I, think, I, I, I think, God damn it, it is important. It's good. I kind of genuinely do think it's important with my work. Yeah. Because you've got to waste so much time on the internet so yes. that when you know you've, got, you've only got an hour left, yes, that's yes. when you're writing like you wrote No Boys Cricket Club. Yeah. You've got, you just, you just <laughs> you got to recreate those conditions. It, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um, Man United transfer window has been very useful for me in terms oh, right, of wasting time yeah. in order to generate the energy. Energy. But yeah. let's go back to yes. your writing day. What yes. do you do then after you've watched an hour of cats falling out of trees on YouTube? Yeah, and then I get on working and, and I set myself a target mm -hmm. um, for the day. For the day, yeah. I just say, okay, um, okay. I need once I've finished this scene or written a certain amount of words, I give myself a treat later later in the day. Great. And that's I don't know. That can be anything. I, I can like go to the cinema because we've got a local cinema just on the yeah. Just, Two minutes walk from my house. Yeah. So that's nice to have. Um, or, you know, play some music or, yeah. or buy myself something. Do you, do you, do you turn, uh, do you use like Freedom or uh, there's other programs you can get that turn off the internet? No, no, I've right. heard about this. I keep thinking maybe I should, yeah, they're should quite try good. that. They're quite good. Anyway, um, <laughs> are you a planner? Not a formal one. I don't make. I don't do diagrams. I just go with instinct. I just. I if if I strip it down sim to some to a simple task like finish this scene by the yeah. day or more or usually write two thousand words. But you'll know yeah. what scene what's going to be in the scene before you write yeah. it, or is yeah. it the writing scene the process of discovery? Both. Yeah. Both. Yeah. 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 It's just. I just want. I. Just, yeah. Sometimes this means I just. I just want to just finish that scene. Um, it can it can be anything. It can be, yeah, like like I said, sort of. Um, do I just, it's actually no. It's it's something more practical than that. It's just more whether it's, it's a scene or or finish a play or start something. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's really about how many words do I come, how many do right. I do a day. Right. And I try if I if I can do two thousand words a day, I feel really good about myself. I, I've, you're one of the first playwrights I've met who's got a word count like that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it helps particularly when um, when I'm writing radio plays because I've been writing more right. radio the last couple of years and I love it. Yeah, why? Um, it's it's so limitless. You think yeah. it's restricting, but it's not. It's um, yeah, your character can be anywhere. Yeah, it's good. It's yeah. more like cinema in that it's sense. It's more like cinema. Yeah, yeah. and 
I always like the timer switching on mm, radio as well. Mm. There's something about having to get 43 minutes. Exactly, yeah. You have to be very forensic very, with the editing. Very, very forensic with it. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I can tell you right now, 43 minutes, that's roughly just under 9,000 words. <laughs> that's, that, that's, that, that's a 43-minute play. Yeah. That's, so, that's 9,000 uh, words of speaking, not 9,000 words of stage direction. Of speaking. Yeah, of speaking. OK, great. Very yeah. good. Very good. So, very good. yeah, so, I, so yeah, regardless of what it is, I, try to, I just try to do a certain amount of work today and I get very angry and grumpy with myself as Fiona will attest to when I find I don't do that do you find can I ask you this mm. uh, I've spoken to generations of young black British theatre artists yeah. who are, are so inspired in the same way as you were by the character of Benny and ah, Grainshield okay. they're so inspired by yeah. you and your work and your career uh-huh. and you've given them a sense of the validity of their own stories and their mm-hmm. own writing um, are you still consciously writing black stories? Are, is that something you are going to commit to? Does it ever feel like it's limiting you? Do you ever just want to write like upstairs, downstairs, that old source for your <laughs> your childhood actually, imagination? Actually, I've I've got an idea how I could write upstairs, downstairs in a modern day setting. I'm not going to tell you because <laughs> yeah, I will nick it. Because you'll nick it. And yeah. quite fast as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go on. Um, I don't. I don't. I've often asked myself this question. Right, because uh, this often comes up in debate. Or you know, do you see yourself as a black writer? How do you feel about that? Yeah, and I'm trying I'm, to ask white writers if they see themselves as a white writer nowadays. As well, mm, the, well I, it's I, complicated. But answer your, answer my question rather than. Um, I I I I have no problem with that title, black right. writer. I yeah. don't. I don't feel me being black limits me, and I feel yes. I of course I write specifically about black characters and about yeah. black worlds. Mm. But I think the univer- But I think what I'm, the themes I'm writing about are. Universal, yes. universal for me. It's so for everybody. The thing so, I always get about. I think you write about masculinity. Yeah, uh, and I think particularly this thing that sometimes men feel differently to how they're meant to feel. Exactly. Or or people feel differently to how yes. they're meant to feel. I think you dramatise that with real clarity. Well, thank you. But that that's that's me. And so race it, is part of that. But it's not is, not only that. that. Yeah. I, ref- I mean, what I do like to sort of tell writers is, you know, don't let anyone put you in a box. Yeah. Because they will. Not just yeah. white people, black people too. Yeah. They'll do it with their own agendas, and some they 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 will tell you it's well-meaning. Yeah. But I'll just say you got to listen to yourself. Yeah. And right. Yes, I think. Yeah, if uh, if you're writers of color, you should write about your experience growing up, and it should and it's as valid and as important as everyone else's experiences. I just feel that's just. To me, to me, I've always felt that just goes without saying. Yeah. That just that's just automatically. I don't see why that there needs to be sort of put, you know, put, you know, put on in lights or anything for like sure. that. that for that's, sure. that's just that's just you. You should take that. That's one thing people should take for granted. You should take for granted that within you. You write predominantly, not exclusively, but predominantly for stage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just quickly. Also, I mean, I remember even but, um, the play I wrote for the RSC. Interesting enough, that was a predominantly white. Cast. Yeah, and sing your heart soul. And sing your heart was predominantly white. Yeah, for white. sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, but um, uh, writing for the stage, yeah. uh, often it's an art form born out of passion, yeah. rather than economics. Yeah. How are you? Uh, how are you? You know, for a young playwright listening to this, is mm-hmm. it possible to make a living writing predominantly for theatre? How? Depends how many commissions you can get. Right. Okay. And but also as long as you're being smart about that, don't don't. Don't buy off more than you can chew. And yeah. I admit, there's been experiences where I've done that. Maybe I took on way too much yeah. commissions, yeah. and the work kind of suffered a little bit. Um, 
it's extremely hard. There's no point lying about that. Pretending it's 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 a tough business, and and you know count yourself bloody lucky if you if you're able to write full time. And yeah. I count myself extremely fortunate. Yeah, yeah. That I've that I'm able to do that. That I'm, I've been able to uh, to do that. But also as well as um th- I've, I I write for te- film and television and as radio well. as well and radio as well. Yeah. And um, they don't pay. They, I mean, they don't pay that much better. But um. But yeah, but sl- yeah, better than theatre. I always um, think with a radio play. When I was writing for radio, mm. I would work out how much I got paid per per drama. Yeah. Figure out how much I need to live per year, and then figure out from that how many weeks work I'd need to spend on the radio play to yeah. justify it. And it would ter- turn up about three or four weeks work. Yeah, exactly. And if you're spending more than three or four weeks work on it, yeah. then you're, you're you're running your economics dry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is my pragmatic Completely. approach. Completely. If, if um, so, why do you because ret- you could make a lot more money writing for television or film? Why do you return to theatre? What is it about theatre for you? It's just the best medium. It's just it it, it still is. In what way? Um, in terms of um, th- things, I still want to see. I still, you know. Um, as much as I mean, I love film and, t- and TV, but if I want to, if I want to know something, if I want to know something I didn't know the day before, or be moved by something, eight times out of ten, nine times out of ten, that's always happening in, in theatre, and that's the work I want to see more. That's I mean, I, I still see, I've still seen. I mean, we could all list beautiful examples of film and sure. television that have sure. done that. Um, the thing that Jim McGovern wrote recently on television called Broken. Yeah. Remarkable. Brilliant. Do you think there's something about the form of theatre that's led to that eight or nine times out of ten? Um, yeah. The life, the life, the excitement, the life. It's it's like a football match. It's just you don't know what's gonna happen next. Yeah. And it's happening right in front of you and you're bear and you're sitting there and you're bear and you bear witness to it all. It's still that element of the trip out to Eastbourne. Yeah. To yeah. see real famous people exactly, in the yeah. actual room. That as well. That as well. And the gang mentality of yeah, it's out still, the Yeah, all of that still Yeah. That's that that that, that you know, it, it's like seeing my DNA, so it can't leave it can't leave me. I always made a promise to myself I will always continue I would never abandon theatre. I will always write for whoever wants me to. Having written Adaptations of mm-hmm. things like Absolute Beginners and the Long Distance, uh, Loneliness and Long Distance yeah. Runner. Mm-hmm. Uh, having written biography like Soul, the Marvin yeah. Gaye biography, you're not just now generating plays from your own experience. No, no. But I'm um, branching out. So. What? What? Is there anything that unifies those plays? Is there something that? Do you ever reread your play and go, oh, "I'm all, almost yeah. returning to images or ideas"? And what would you say those images or ideas it's still, are? It's still a central character being displaced. Yeah, in 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 a society, that um, on a level, they're kind of you, they're kind of familiar with and comfortable with, but something inside them is driving them. Something inside them just to say, no, I I need to do something. I need to break free. I be I feel someone's putting a box down on me, and I need to fight back. I think that's a common theme in 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 my plays. I think also as I get older, um, I do think about you know me. Um, my relationship, if you, you know, with you know, people close to me, particularly mm. my father, who um, I I did not have a relationship at all when I was growing up. Mm. Um, I find it's funny. Ian always used to say to me. Actually, he said that about me and you once. Ian he, said, uh, he said, he uh, said, you always used to write plays with a father figure. Yeah. And I used to write plays where there's no father. Figure. <laughs> and 
Yeah, I remember. I remember saying, "Is would you say that's accurate?" Yeah, I would say that's very accurate. It makes me want to write a play with an absence of a father figure. Yeah, (laughs) have you written plays with well Marvin Gaye, the soul? Well, exactly. I mean, um, I mean, that's what made me want to write that play. I mean, that was the closest I came when you said earlier about I should do a musical. I mean, when I was approached by Mm. sort of commercial producers to do that, and anything was was on the table it could have been a Mamma Mia type show yeah. with all all of his songs you know, you know rights permitting even though we ended up not getting the rights to some of the songs which was frustrating but mm. that's another story um, but when I went over there and I met his sisters and I got more of an in-depth understanding of um, him growing up and more more his relationship with his dad I how I was able to kind of you know find my way in I just kind of I can relate to that because I think he, Marvin, he was really, look at me, look at me, Dad, look at what I'm doing, love me, love me. Yeah. As, as sentimental as corny as that may sound, but that's no, ultimately what he was doing. That's what he was doing. Yeah. And they had a very, very complex relationship. And I just, even though my dad was absent, but I, I that was my way. I couldn't have written that play unless I didn't put a little bit of myself in there. Yeah. And and I related to them because, you know, they spoke very movingly of their losing their brother. And that was the same year where I lost my brother, my mm. eldest brother, Mark, to yeah. cancer. And that mm. changed. That you know, I, I felt changing me after that. Yeah. It always does when you lose someone for sure. that close to you. For sure. Um, yeah. But you're still fighting. I'm still fighting. I'm still fighting. Still going. Still going. Mm. Um, try and stop me. Um, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's all. It's um, it, it's it's yeah. It's it's not an easy profession, as you know. God knows. And yeah, particularly if you're black. I mean, I'm not saying that as a complaint. It's just no, a fact. It doesn't sound like a complaint. It's a fact. I mean, I'm, it's it's um, yeah yeah. I'm I'm aware of things. You know, like the whole act for a change and yeah. and, and and so on. And you know, but it, I think theatre's better at it in terms of representation. Um, film and TV have still got a long way to go. But even even with theatre, I think it's, it's still a it's still a problem. It's still a concern that. Um, but yeah, but it's yeah. I mean, it's I I don't yeah. But I'm I'm conscious of the fact. I mean, I mean, I, mean, I wouldn't, but, I'm, but I still need to tell myself. You know, don't ever go with that kind of. I'm a right jack, pull the ladder up. I'm I'm more, I'm 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 very much always on the side of the playwrights. You know? yeah. And and the, the more diverse they are, the better. And I want to help them. Yeah. You know, get yeah. Help them with the fight too. Help them with the fight too. Roy yeah. Williams, thank you very much. It's indeed. a pleasure, mate. Thank you. Thank you. From start of the week. So this is Anushka, producer Anushka. Yeah. Who had one thing she was annoyed I didn't ask you, right? Yeah. What was the thing, Anushka? You wanted? What, yeah. What the letter to Grange Hill was. What? What, what, what did I say? Yeah. I just said, dear Sutton Sons. I can't remember the producer's name. My name's Roy Williams. I'm 15 years old, and um, yeah, I, I, I want to write for Grange Hill because I think you. I don't think you're doing it right. <laughs> they don't, yeah, those kids. Is Grange Hill still being made? Wait, no. more important oh, question. It got stopped yeah. Did they write that? Yeah, they did, they yeah. did. Very nice. And uh, Have you I sent I sent them a script. <laughs> oh, you legend. Oh. Handwritten, handwritten script. That's... Have you written for Grange Hill? No, no. <laughs> Would you, if, they, if they hear this podcast, well, I, think they end, I, think it's, I think it ended it about 10 years. I think it stopped showing about 10 years ago when they stopped it. It I ran for. Does it, it stop ten years ago? I it ran for still going. Listen, no, you, this can be your Russell years. T Davis moment, Roy. This can be. Oh, you can don't. do what to Grange Hill, what he did to Doctor Who. <laughs> I think that's a really good idea. <laughs> you heard it here first, people. You heard it here first. Thanks, guys. Oh, pleasure.
Thanks for listening to the Royal Court Theatre Playwrights Podcast. If you'd like to listen to more, make sure you subscribe at royalcourttheatre.com or iTunes to get the next episode. You can purchase many of the plays discussed at royalcourttheatre.com forward slash shop or come into the shop at the theatre. Come to the theatre. Come and see the plays. We're at Sloan Square. Come along. Come and see everything. The Playwrights Podcast is brought to you by the Royal Court Theatre. It's presented by me, Simon Stevens, and produced by the remarkable Anushka Warden and Emily Legg.